All right, good evening, everybody. If you turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 25, we'll begin in verse 23. We left off last week with uh, some of the furnishings of the sanctuary for the, well, the tabernacle. It's the tent version, so we're kind of going through the temple on Sunday and the tabernacle on Wednesdays, and interesting to see the comparison. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we're able to sing praises already and pray to you and then sit here in fellowship with you in your word, letting you teach us by your Holy Spirit. We pray the same for the kids, that they're having that same time with you, that fellowship that we need, that uh, intimacy that we need. This is that's represented in, in, the, in the tabernacle. You desired that from them uh, long ago, and you desire that from us today. And so we've come together as a body of believers in this place to well, to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and prayer and the breaking of bread and fellowship. And so we pray that you just be here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. And for those of you watching online, you're included. We'll, we'll include you virtually to tonight's fellowship. Um, that was one of the big things as I was studying tonight, getting ready for this, was I'm, I'm going to go through more dimensions, you know? And I, and I, and I, let me back up. It was dark early and we were leaving for church and I was already tired. And I'm thinking, and so are they when I get here. And I'm going to talk about dimensions of boxes and curtains and rings and loops. And you're already half, your eyelids are already half masked. And so um, I was praying, I said, God, what is it tonight that everybody needs, you know? Could you bring something to light, something that we haven't really maybe hit before as we've gone through these things? And he didn't tell me anything new. <laughs> so as we go through this, I guess there's one thing, and maybe I should start with that. The one thing is, and it's more of a historical fact than it is what's actually in the text. In, in 63 BC, this just popped up, and so... Take it with a grain of salt. It's out of Josephus' book, the historian. Um, so it's not scripture. But Pompeo, the Roman general, blew his way into Jerusalem in 63 BC, blew past the priests, threw open the curtain that was meant to separate the holy of holies from the holy place to keep everybody at bay except for one time a year. He blows past and was disappointed to find there was no idol there. And I don't know why that struck me, but I get the sense, and I don't know how I'm working on this even as I speak, but it seems like more and more people, world, the world especially, when they blow past the curtain, when they blow past Jesus or they blow into the presence of God thinking they're going to find something that's not really there. There is no idol to worship. There is no set list of things that we need to do to get to heaven. There is no step-by-step -step process in order for, you know, we like those kind of things as people. Give me a list. Give me a, a to-do list to get to heaven, and there isn't one. All Pompeo found was a, a chair, the throne, or at least something similar, a mock-up of it. And, and, and what he couldn't see was what only Christians can see is there's an actual true and living God. 
that you need to have a relationship with. Sitting on the throne or taking it for your own, you know, putting it in your garage, taking the Ark of the Covenant, sticking it in your garage, or sitting on it, or maybe grabbing the lampstand and putting, making your own, none of that works for this God, like all other gods. We, they thought, remember the, the Philistines, they captured the Ark of the Covenant and they brought it into their God like it was, like we, we caught your God. He, you didn't. Well, you did. You got his attention for sure. But we got your God. And they, they always figured their gods were things they could grab or place or put and manipulate and do with. And not with this one, Pompey discovered. There's, there's no idol. And he walked off, not realizing what he had just encountered. What, imagine all the Jews at that time, seeing these Roman, ignorant Romans come flying in, Knowing what they know, being raised, you cannot go past that curtain. If anybody goes past that curtain, you'll perish. You can't do it. To see them blow past that and to go, they're all like, whoa, you know. And have them come out and be disappointed. They're like, you didn't, you didn't see it? You didn't experience him? You didn't have any interaction with the true and living God? See, they've grown up with the Shekinah glory coming down and resting upon this Seat. They've grown up with the smell of incense and offering. The, the presence of God has always been in the nation of Israel at this place, at this location. And they experienced it daily, whether that was smelling the incense or the burnt offerings or hearing the priests or the call to prayer, you know, or, or whatever it was, the Shekinah glory, the coming down from God. They've always experienced that. But for someone to come in and expecting one thing and not finding it, not experiencing it, they, it's a dumbfounded, and I feel that way sometimes as a Christian who's a born-again believer, who has a, a real relationship with Jesus Christ, that there's some people that are like, I just don't, I don't feel that. I just don't see it. I just don't know why it's not working for me. And that I don't understand. And so I guess that was the big thing for me tonight as I was studying is, there's a lot of people that blow past the curtain of God's word or blow into church sometimes and they just, well, I didn't feel it. And so they walk out and they, they never met God because they were looking for something in their own image. They were looking for an idol. They were looking for something that they had already pre-planned. They haven't met the person of Jesus Christ. So as we go through this tabernacle again, and I know we've done this before, it's very similar to the temple. In fact, all the furniture is identical. It's the same furniture. They didn't make new furniture. The only thing that changed from the tabernacle to the temple was the structure itself, the tent versus a building. Okay, that's it. But as we go through this, please be reminded as to what the purpose of the tabernacle is for. It's for it, is, it is a representation of God's desire to not be distant. I don't want to be away from you. I don't want to be some imaginary. I don't want to be that. The only reason that has taken place, the only reason I'm behind the blue sky, behind the black sky at night, the only reason I'm so far away is because you sinned, because you ate of the fruit. I used to walk with you in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. Until you disobeyed, until you decided to become your own gods and worship. That's what brought that. But even despite all that, I want to be in your presence. And so I can't do what I used to do, but here's what I can do. It's God's desire to be with his people. I'll let you make my chair. And I will judge 
between the cherubim, I'll sit on that chair. It'll be my footstool chair, however you want to, a couple times it's referred to as his footstool. But I want to be in your presence. And I want you to know that I'm near. So that's a long introduction to our teaching, but I really want us to understand that. Then we describes here in verse 23, you shall also make a table of acacia wood, two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold gold, and make a, a molding of gold all around it. You shall make for it a, a frame of a handbreadth all around, and you shall make gold mold, molding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings on the four corners that are at its four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, that the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, its bowls for pouring. You shall make, or you shall, uh, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. So this is the showbread table. So you walk into this tent, the tabernacle, and the first thing you see when you walk in on your right-hand side is this table. Okay, this table. The second thing you're going to see is the menorah or the lamp stand off to your left. And right in front of you, or right in front of you, will be the incense, the altar of incense, where they would offer up prayers before the Lord. And then behind that would be the tall, thick curtain that separated on the other side of it God's ark, God's chair, his footstool. That's all that's on the other side of that curtain. And so when you walk in, you're always reminded that my right hand is this. This table made of gold, which gold represents deity, represents God, heaven, okay? Perfection, pure, beautiful, valuable, all that. And on it, though, I want you to set 12 loaves of bread, and that will constantly happen. Continually, that bread will be replaced in new loaves of bread. And the table, that's where we eat. That's the idea. When... (laughs) Since uh, Seth and Haley moved back and JC and Andrea are in town and all that, we, we have a lot of meals together. There's a lot of craziness, a lot of fellowship, a lot of things happen at our, at our table, at our house. And our table can get longer or shorter or longer. And I still don't know why we ever collapse the thing or bring the chairs up from the basement. I mean, we need room and space, but we do it so often that we probably should just leave all the chairs up or get a bigger dining room or something like that because it's constantly going on. There's so much fellowship and so much hanging out. I love it. Love it. You know, God loves that fellowship. Constant reminder. I have always got bread for you to break with me. It's always available. My table is always set. There is always 12 lobes, one for every tribe. I've got plenty of food. And as Aaron prayed tonight, we're going to break God's bread. We're going to break his word. I've always got time to fellowship with you, God says. I always want you. That's the best he could do. It seems so trivial. This, and, I, and I say that respectfully. This table with 12 loaves of bread on it seems so trivial compared to what God wants. I'd love to walk in the cool of the day with you. I'd love to talk with you and explain to you why a platypus looks like that, you know? But something happened. Your sin has separated me. You can't be in my presence anymore. You'll, well, I'm a consuming fire. And so here's what I can do. I can always let you know at least my heart on the matter. My heart is 
Because that bread never really got eaten unless it was removed from the table and used later on. But the idea is it represented that constant ability to fellowship with God. And so he takes the time to say, I want you to really make this special. I want the, I want the rings right where they are. I want the legs right there. I want it the right height. It really needs to, you know. And he takes the time to do that. Now we're moving to the left side of the tabernacle when you walk in. Right side, showbread. Left side, lampstand. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and the flowers shall be of one piece, one piece of gold hammered, not connected, not made separately, one piece, okay? Six branches shall come out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch, with an ornamental knob and a flower and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch. So you got this thing. And on those little blooms would rest the lamp. So if you get the idea, they would take these lamps, rest them on there, and, they, and it would be there. And it would light with olive oil inside of it, the purest olive oil they could have. So it was a bright, clear light. And this is the only source of light in the tabernacle. And this tabernacle's dark without it. They got so many coverings over, and they got the gold boards all the way around. I mean, it's locked down tight. But this this shows this this lamp brings in light into the place, and so this is what I want it to look like. I want almond. Now I don't know why almond, except that they're the first to bloom. It says in Israel, the folks that know say it's the first to bloom in Israel. So the first thing to bloom in spring, that's what I want. So um, there's a reason for that, I'm sure. Also, Aaron's rod was an almond branch or an almond stick or whatever that bloomed, and that's how they knew Moses was supposed to be the leader and, and so on. Anyway, three bowls. I want them done on either side with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches that come out of that lampstand, okay, I want it pretty. Not just simple. Not, sometimes we're like that as Christians, you know. Efficient. We need efficiency. Well, sometimes God likes form, too, uh, you know, beyond function. It's okay, you know. Um, we're going to wear sackcloth and leather belts our whole lives kind of thing. Eh, okay. Or you could go to Old Navy, you know, <laughs> you know, and not look weird if you want to. Um, it's okay. And, and, and God takes the time to do this. And this, is, this, is in his, this is in his tent, you know. This is in his tent. And I want it to look like this, God says. He's got an opinion. He's got a design. He's got an idea. I like the almond flower. He's made a lot of flowers. He's done a lot of things. He's got a lot of creativity. He says, ah, make it like the almond flower. That's my favorite. Maybe. I like that. I take that to heart. It helps me understand the character of my God. It helps me to understand my Father in Heaven a little bit more. I pick up on stuff like that. I like to know the fact that he likes form and function, but form. It's important to him that there's some design in that. He's done that for each one of us. There's a reason you look the way you look and you act the way you act and you have eye color the way you have it. You have mannerisms. You have, you think the way you think. Every one of us is different. Every one of us has a DNA that's like nobody else's in the entire world that's ever existed or will ever exist. Only you have that specific DNA. 
could never make another you without your DNA. And then it's kind of a weird clone sci-fi kind of thing if you were to do something like that. You're specific. You're designed. You're as tall as you were ever supposed to be. Disappointing <laughs> for, for us five foot, well, we say 10, but we're really five nines, you know, or whatever. He likes your form. He likes your function, but he likes your form. So he continues to describe this beautiful lamp that he wants made. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of gold. You think that's important? Apparently, he keeps saying it over and over again. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. And so be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. I want it to look just like the pattern that I showed you. And there probably was a little artistic license, I suppose. But for the most part, I want it to look the way I want it to look. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, And he spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And that's what this lampstand represents. In Matthew 5, 14, he takes it a step further and speaks to the disciples, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So make sure that you're shining where you need to shine. Don't put it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine, right? Kid song. Philippians 2.14, Paul, writing to the Philippians, explains to them that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among you whom you shine as lights in the world. It's a mission. Now, the lampstand itself doesn't know that it has a mission. It just does what it does, naturally. And if oil is in the lamp and heat is applied, then light is produced. And and that's our responsibility as Christians. We are filled with the oil. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're allowing God to use us to light this world up. We're called to that. Jesus is the light. And he says, though, it's it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, I can send the helper, the Holy Spirit. And so I won't be the only one here shining. I want you all to shine. The oil that would pour down Aaron and on, on his beard as he was anointed, it's the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon Aaron and upon anybody that serves God. That anointing has to be there. You can't just serve God because you feel like it. You've got to be anointed with the Holy Spirit to do it so that you can shine, so that you can be bright, so that you can draw people to him. And so that's that Constant reminders, you'd walk into the tabernacle, always have fellowship with God. I should change around. Always having fellowship with God, with the bread. Always being the light of the world, and Jesus is the light. Always. Because on the other side of that curtain is the Father's chair, or his resting place, or where he sits to judge us, or to talk with us, or to fellowship with us. So you've got the Father You've got the Son and you've got the Holy Spirit all there in the temple or in the tabernacle here. 
Moreover, chapter 26, you shall make the tabernacle with 10 curtains of fine woven linen and blue and purple and scarlet thread. With artistic designs of cherubim, you shall weave them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and the width of each curtain, four cubits. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain, on the selvage, whatever. I'm sure that's a sewing term, but term, but I don't know. Of one set. And likewise, you shall do on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. Fifty loops you shall make uh, the one curtain. And fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set that the loops may be clasped to one another. So it was more of a portability thing. The whole thing is going to have, there's going to be two curtains. They'd be too heavy to carry by themselves. So you're going you're gonna to hook them together in the middle so it makes one big curtain is the idea with these loops and clasps. You shall also make uh, curtains of goat hair to be a, a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits, the width of... Each curtain, four cubits, and the eleven curtains shall all have the same measurements. And you shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves, and you shall double over the sixth curtain and make sure that nothing gets out of there. No light can escape this. Really going to make this place dark. So you walk into this place, you got the showbread and the lampstand and the altar of incense, and above you is that first curtain, you know, all those different colors and everything with the cherubim all embroidered on it and everything. So you walk in and you're to be reminded that you're in the presence of angels, you know, the presence of cherubim and seraphim and all those things. Really wanted it pretty. Really wanted them to get the sense of it all, the holiness of it, the beauty of what heaven really is like, because that's all this is, is a mock-up of heaven, a model of it. So make that one. Then over the top of that beautiful curtain, we just described with the cherubim and the red and the scarlet and all that, I want you to put this really dark layer on top of goat skins. It's supposed to be dyed red, which represents a whole other, you know, it's a ram skin, basically. You're supposed to be uh, the male goat, the sacrificed, all dyed red, knowing that the sacrifice is there, that Jesus is ever living to make intercession for it. It's all a picture. Now, I want you to hook all that stuff together. You got the pretty one, you got the, 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 the dark goat one on top. You should make 50 bronze clasps, put the clasps in the loops, and couple the tent together that it may be one. The remnant that remains of the curtain of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back of the tabernacle and the cubit on one side and the cubit on the other side of what remains of the, of the curtain. They shall hang over its side. And so you've got this pretty curtain that no one can see from the outside because you've got an overhang now. So you cannot see that. He's doing that on purpose. You cannot get to heaven. You cannot see this. It's got to be covered and completely covered. You shall also make a covering of ram skins dyed red. I'm sorry, that's the third. There's the third one. Ram skins dyed red. That's the one that represents Christ. And a covering of badger skin above that. Some say that's actually seal skin. Another translation says it's dolphin skin. Yeah, I don't know. My guess is it's a waterproof layer. So whatever animal is probably the most waterproofy, that's what it is. We have a hard time sometimes with the translating these animals. Um, 
But badger, I don't know how waterproof badger is. So seal sounds probably more plausible. Coming out of Egypt, you know, you've got all that stuff that you've... Some are like, well, where are you going to get seals in the middle of the desert? Well, they brought it with them. All this stuff's with them. They brought it out of Egypt with them. So when he begins to build this stuff, they've got this stuff in carts. You know, they took everything with them when they left. So that's where the sources of these things. So get some badger skins above that. That's the waterproof layer, whatever animal it is. And for the tabernacle, you shall make the boards of acacia wood. So now we're talking about the sides. That's the tent covering it, those four layers. Pretty layer, uh, uh, goat layer, ram skin layer, dyed red, and then you've got the uh, seal skins or badger skins. Probably not dolphin. I just can't see that. But, you know, what do I know? Could have been dolphin. And for the tabernacle, you shall make the boards of acacia wood, standing upright. Um, so these things are going to be like, 15 inches wide, three inches thick, uh, or no, 15 feet tall is what it is. 15 feet tall, and I think, was it 18 inches wide, I think, is what it was. I'll have to look at it again. But anyway, it's these boards, thick, heavy, acacia wood boards, and they're not going to just be boards. They're going to be overlaid and, and all that. Ten cubits shall be the length of the board, and a cubit and a half shall be its width. So mm, 24 inches wide. It's a two-foot wide, 15-foot tall, three inches thick. Pretty thick stuff, pretty heavy. You're going to make two tenons. Those are those parts that stick out, like, like you're going to carve out a couple of teeth at the bottom. They're going to set down in sockets of silver is what he's going to describe. That's what you set them in. Okay, each, one, each board's going to have two sockets of silver that you kind of rested into it, like a tenon. Mortise and tenon joint goes like that when you do a table, right? And then you pin it this way, and that way it can't pull out. So that's, that's going to have it this way into the sockets is the idea. You shall make 40 sockets of silver um, under the 20 boards, two sockets under each board uh, for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle, same. Uh, 40 sockets of silver, two sockets under each board. For the far side of the tabernacle, westward, you shall make six boards. So it's 20 boards this way, six boards wide, basically. And they shall be coupled together at the bottom. Um, wait, well, oh, I skipped part, sorry. Uh, make six boards. You shall make two boards for the back two corners. They shall be coupled together at the bottom, and they shall be coupled together at the top by one ring. So there's going to be some kind of thing. You slip over the top kind of to connect them. Does it matter? I don't know. It's important. He puts it there. He's, he's, he's coming up with a really great portable design. The idea of this building can move wherever they go. You know, one guy's got to carry one board. That's your job. You carry that board. You put that board back where it's supposed to go the next time we plant, you know, and stop or whatever. And they would tear it down, fold it up, do everything, come back, set this tent up, and be able to worship God. Wherever they went, they could worship God. And this is to be for both of them, it says. They shall be for the two corners. So there shall be, and this is, uh, I'm down to verse 25. So there shall be eight boards with their sockets of silver, 16 sockets, two sockets under each of the boards. He's got to get specific. This is it. And you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tab tabernacle, five bars of boards on the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars of boards uh, for this side of the tabernacle on the far side westward. The middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from end to end. You shall overlay the boards with gold, make the rings of gold and holders, and so on. So, okay. All right. So you got these sticking down into the sockets, right? But you got these boards are kind of floppy, you know? And, and, and I know David's thinking it through, saying he's going, okay, now wait a minute. How are you going to put 
put those together. There's going to be gaps. It's the wind comes in the desert. What are you going to do? Well, you put these rings on the outside, and then you run poles through them to line those boards to keep them straight and upright is the idea. Okay, and you're going to do that all the way around this thing to kind of lock it into place. That's probably still a little, got a little wiggle to it, but uh, for the most part, it's going to be really solid. So that's how they're going to hold these boards together, sockets, rings, and then these, these bars that go along the outside. The middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards. You shall overlay the boards with gold and so on. Uh, you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern, which you were shown on the mountain. You shall make a veil. Okay, now we're getting good stuff. Okay, you got the boards in the tent. The veil. This veil is what I was talking about. On just on the other side of this incense table, bread, lampstand, incense table, veil right here, really thick veil. We don't know how thick, six to ten inches. We really don't know, but super thick so that nothing can see the other side of it. And the other side of that's the Ark of the Covenant, okay? I want you to make this veil, and it's going to be blue and purple and scarlet thread with fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. I want you to put that on there. You shall hang it upon the four pillars of the acacia wood overlaid with gold. Their hooks shall be gold upon four sockets of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps. Then you shall bring the Ark of the Testimony in there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider between, for you between the holy place and the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat upon the Ark of the Testimony of the most holy. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. You shall put the table on the north side. So that's where we get all our dimensions. I just described what I've been telling you all night long, okay. When Pompeo or Pompey blows through that curtain and finds nothing but the box, I wonder if he lifted the lid, you know, despite Indiana Jones and what goes through your mind when they lifted the lid there, if you ever, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, it's the testimony of God. One of the most, the most valuable thing they have. Of, of all that we're going to put on the other side, besides my chair, my Shekinah glory, what's there is my word. That's what I stand upon. The most important thing you could have. That's what's going to be behind the veil. It's always, it's forever, it's eternal. Everything on that side of the veil is always going to be. It's a beautiful picture of what's, what's valuable to God and what should be valuable to us. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 51 when Jesus died on the cross, it says this about this really thick veil that was separating the people from the holy of holy places, keeping a distance between the high priest and God, and the high priest could only go on the other side once a year. That's it. When Jesus died on the cross, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and it goes on to describe the dead raised that veil was ripped. Everything that happened was supposed to happen at the cross. Everything at Jesus' death was supposed to take place. It wasn't, oh man, the, the, the temple it wasn't built right, the veil ripped. No, that was ripped intentionally from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top. From top to bottom it was ripped. And that veil was never to be mended. It was never to be put back. We know from Hebrews Chapter 10, verses 19 through 22, the writer of Hebrews trying to explain the Old Covenant to the folks that lived the Old Covenant. 
said this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I'm sure they fixed that veil. Probably the next day after it got torn, after everybody tried to figure out what happened, how did this happen? They got busy and made a new veil or fixed it, but it was never to be mended. It was meant to be ripped from top to bottom, and there was never to be a barrier again between the Father and us. Because through that ripped veil, through the ripped flesh of Jesus Christ, we can now boldly come to that throne, which is what Hebrews 4.15 says. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Never want to forget that. It was his idea to rip the veil. It was his idea to send his son to die on the cross. It was his idea to do all of that so that we could boldly come. What he was doing here at Exodus, setting up this mock-up, as close as we can get to fellowship, um, the priest can come in a lot of times, but only the high priest can come in one time a year because only one time a year is the Day of Atonement. Not every day. Not more than once. Every year they would memorialize that, but that was all a picture of that happening, of Jesus dying on the cross and the veil was ripped one time. It's all done. The temple's done. The tabernacle's done. All those mock-ups, all that pretending we used to do for thousands of years is over. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. It's all over. All the animal sacrifices, everything, the curtain, <laughs> the altar of incense, all the, the showbread, the light, it's all been a mock-up. And that model is now done and complete. And when I ripped it from top to bottom, it fulfilled its purpose. And now, okay, now throw that away. Get rid of all that. It's so amazing how often we try to bring all that stuff back into our walk with Jesus. Like there's something special about showbread. Like there's something special about, no, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the bread of life. He ever lives to make intercession for us through prayers. He sits on the right hand of the Father. He is on the throne. He ripped it. He was the flesh ripped. He was the, the veil that was torn. It was all him all the time. And now he's come. And so when that general walks in, he doesn't get it. He can't get it. And so many people are looking for the system. Where's the animal sacrifice? Where's the prayer? Where's the showbread? Where's the lamp? Where's all the... Well, the religion side of it. I don't know, it was all meant for one purpose, to point us to Jesus. And now we have him. Everything that was a mock-up and so distant and cold and kind of heartless in the sense that this is as close to God as we can get, is now all gone and we have instant, perfect fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. It's unbelievable if we could grasp it. If we could understand what we have, this building is nothing it's beautiful and provision from God. Thank you that we're not out in the cold and in the rain. Don't get me wrong. But we are the body of Christ. 
We are the church, and the church decided to get together tonight, and the kids are all getting together tonight, and we're all learning about the one we love the most through his word, the most important thing we have, and I have a personal relationship with him. I sat in my car and fellowship with God over in the field, and you fellowship with God this morning in name it, wherever you were. And we now no longer have to find a tent and we no longer have to go to a temple and we now have the true and living God dwelling inside of us and we have constant fellowship with him. Amen. You know? Oh, man. I don't want to be that general that's looking for an idol, you know? The true and living God. And, and that's what we're here to tell people about. Sometimes I get worried. It's a silly worry, but whenever we sing that song, Aaron, about um, for what God did for me on uh, how Calvary paid the price for me, I always get worried that visitors are like, Calvary paid the price. Like someone who doesn't know what Calvary is is going, Calvary paid the price. I knew this church was weird. <laughs> And I'm always worried about, I don't, I, don't, I don't know why my mind goes there. I'm like, no, 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 Calvary's a hill <laughs> that Jesus died on. And the church is named after that hill. And that song's talking about that hill. We're not talking about each other in that song, you know. And that part of me is always, always present because I don't want people to come to church. I don't want people to know me. I don't want to disciple people. I want to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I want them to have a personal relationship with him. I want them to grow with him. I want the Holy Spirit to indwell them. I want them to be born again and have this amazing relationship with God where if they never saw another person, as long as they lived, they'd be fine. Because they're in connection with and have fellowship with the true and living God who can meet them anywhere, anytime. Jail, (laughs) an island, uh, space, I don't know where we're going to be. But it doesn't matter where we are, we have the true and living God in us. He is fellowshipping with us. The veil's been ripped. We can boldly come to that throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. So. You shall make a screen, verse 36, can't see it, I wrote over it, yeah, 36. You shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle, woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen made, of, made by a weaver. And you shall make for the screen five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be gold, and you shall cast five sockets of bronze for them. I don't want to go any further tonight. I don't want to go any further. I don't know if I told you I was going to go further, Aaron, but I don't want to go any further. I think what we left off with there is exactly right tonight. Don't ever want to forget that part. He truly, truly loves us. Not with just a word. Not like maybe we say it to one another at times, but he desperately wants that fellowship with us and gave us as much as he could whenever he could. I mean, our God stood on the edge of heaven all the time, it seems like. I, I can, this is as close as I can get without hurting you. I'm going to come down on top of the mountain, but don't come any closer. This is as close as I can get without hurting you because I'm perfectly righteous and you, you're kind of sinners and you're flammable. You know, This is as close as I can get to you. I just always remember that about your father. I want to be as close to you as I can get. And now I've sent my son and now I can be in you. 
And I've always wanted to be in you. I've always wanted to have that fellowship. I never wanted to stop walking in the cool of the day with you. That never was my idea. Let's pray. Oh, we love you. We thank you for your heart for us, for your love for us. You have compassion. You saw our need. You see our weakness. You see our frailty. You know that we're made from dust. You understand all that about us. And and you know that, and you don't fault us for it. You, you come as close as you can to it. And then you provide the way for us to have you in our hearts, to be born again, to have the righteousness of your son given to us. And it's a robe that we wear. And when you look upon us, you see the righteousness of your son, Jesus. You did all that for us. Each DNA, each person here, individual, you made us the way you made us, and you bought us the way we are. We thank you for that, that we are bought and paid for. There's nothing else for us to do. We have full assurance. That was said over and over in those cross-references that we may have full assurance. (laughs) So thank you for that. We love you, Dad, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, I'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.